0: That last hymn was our hymn of the month for July, and that last statement of that hymn is so poignant, it truly is under the cross of Jesus that we must live our lives, because without the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no life. There is no hope for eternity, it is in him and him alone that we find that, and we find the hope of Jesus Christ, shared with us from one of his followers in the Gospel of John. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 1 today. And we continue to look at this idea from the book of John that there is life in Jesus, the Son of God. And as we continue looking at the really the prologue to John's gospel in these first 18 verses. We're going to look at verses 6 through 13 today, and I invite you to follow along as I read there. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man." But of God, Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have now to open your word for a few minutes and to read therein the things that you have written for us. And we ask that today, Lord, as we consider these things, you would help us to see you as you are. You would help us to see the Lamb of God who came and gave himself to take away the sin of the world. You would help us to see ourselves as sinners who are in need of a Savior, And you help us to see that the message of Jesus Christ doesn't allow us to remain neutral but demands a response from us in our lives. And Lord, as we look even just briefly at the life of a man you used to spread the message of Jesus Christ, we ask that you would challenge us from that as we look at him later on throughout this gospel as well. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in our hearts today. You would have the freedom to do great and mighty things. And that we would truly walk out of this place different than we came in. Because we have heard your truth proclaimed. And you have done your work in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. We all realize that some moments in our lives are greater than others. Now, for the most part our lives are made up of these insignificant daily moments, right? I mean, that's not to say that each one isn't important or requires us to faithfully make a good decision, but not every moment of our lives is life-changing. I mean, probably the direction of your life doesn't alter based on the everyday mundane decisions that you and I make. But every once in a while, something comes along that is truly life-changing or life-defining. And how we respond in that moment or what, what we do has an effect on the course of our lives. So over the last few months, um, both of my sisters have gotten married in Greenville, South Carolina. And we've had the opportunity as a family to go down there and, and see these weddings. We've been different, involved in different ways in, in each of them. And those days, one in March and one in July, are are defining moments in the lives of my sisters. Because for the rest of their earthly lives, they are changed based on what they said they would do and the promises that they made before God and witnesses at these marriage ceremonies. These are life-altering, life-changing moments on this earth. And throughout the course of your life you may be presented with a few of these life-altering and life-changing moments. However, none of these things on this earth, even something as as great as marriage, none of it compares to the decision that you must make in regard to the work of Jesus Christ. That is the most life-altering decision you will ever make to either accept or reject the work of Jesus Christ. And John, as he continues his gospel, talks about this in these verses, the reaction to the Word, to the incarnate Word of God, to the Son of God Himself. What you do with Jesus and His call to you is not only life-changing, it is life-altering, that your entire being is affected by this decision, and the eternal destination of your soul is settled in how you respond to Him. And so here we see that Jesus came to earth to carry out the work of God the Father that he had called him to and, and what, he had been prof- what had been prophesied about him for hundreds of years. He came to reconcile God and man, to tell us of our sin, and to offer us a way to God. And John shares with us in these verses here a man whose job was to proclaim the message of Jesus and the varied responses to the message of Jesus that we see throughout the book of John. If you remember... But one of the major themes of the book of John is this idea of believing. And that is one of the major themes that you see throughout, throughout the scriptures. But John mentions it nearly 100 times in 21 chapters. The choice that we all face, do we believe in Jesus or do we not? And so he opens that here before us. And what we see is that because Jesus is the only way to eternal life, my decision about him is life-defining. Your life will be defined. Everything else that you do, everything else that you experience, and on into your eternity will be defined by this decision that you make. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the gift of salvation that he offers? What will you do about the life that he calls you to live in him? What will you do of how you live if you know him as a disciple? Everything flows in and through and out of that. So let's break this apart today and look at what we see here that John shares with us. And the first thing that we see is this reaction of proclamation that comes through the life of one who was sent by God to do the work of God. We find this in verses 6 through 8. And it's a man. He says there in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So here, the the disciple or the Apostle John, as he's preparing to tell us about Jesus, he introduces to a man who prepared the way for Jesus. And this man's name was also John. He is the herald of the coming kings of kings. And, and, And typically, we know him by a title, not just John, but we call him John the Baptist. In the book of John... Since, since John doesn't refer him to himself by name, whenever he refers to there was a man named John, or he refers to John, this is who he's talking about. He's talking about John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He appeared in God's plan. He was sent from God to fulfill a prophecy that was found in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read this The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway. For our God. Mark chapter one, we read this that John says, as is is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. See, John the Baptist was the first messenger from God to appear in Israel in nearly four hundred years. As you come to the close of the Old Testament, and Malachi really is the last prophet of the Old Testament, between the close of Malachi and the appearance of John the Baptist, God had not spoken to his people for 400 years. We have no written revelation of that. A lot of times they're called the 400 silent years. No, they still had the things of God written down. They still had the messages of what God had said, but (coughs) the prophets were all gone. And so, John appears as one who really is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he is not just the last of the Old Testament prophets, he is the first of the New Testament message pointing directly to Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to take a lot of time here today to go through the complete history of John the Baptist. We'll look at John the Baptist more as we go throughout the book of John. But what you need to know is that he was miraculously born to a childless couple. His father, Zacharias, was a priest. And the Lord appeared to Zacharias and promised him and his wife, Elizabeth, a son. And we learn later that Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we see that this man, born in such amazing circumstances, was commissioned by God to pave the way for the Son of God's incarnation. And that's exactly what John tells us. From the very beginning, He tells us, yes, here's this man, his name is John, but but he's more than a man. He's sent on a mission. See, John takes more time to tell us about what he was sent to do. He says, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. The mission of John the Baptist, very simply, was to bear witness of the light, and the light is Jesus Christ. He was not sent to grow a ministry for himself. He was not sent to serve his own purposes, but he was sent to carry out God's mission. John did not come up with the message that he preached, a message of repentance from sin on his own, but it was one that God had given to him directly, and he declared what God had said. Because that is what prophets did. Prophets declared over and over again throughout the, Bible, throughout the scriptures, we see it, thus says the Lord. And that's exactly what John did. The first displays of the light of God in Jesus came, in fact, then through John and his proclamations about him. He came to show others the truth of who Jesus is as the Messiah. He didn't come to argue a point, but he came to give testimony of the truth. And in fact, that is the very idea that's communicated by John here. He states here that John came to be a witness and to bear witness of Jesus, the light. Excuse me, one second. The summer cold has gotten a hold of our family, so I apologize. We'll just make it less awkward for everybody, okay? John states that John the Baptist came as a witness and to bear witness of Jesus the light. Those two words are very interesting words because they're legal terms. What They're, they're used in a courtroom to talk about one who is giving testimony for someone else. <clears throat> and we understand that in a courtroom... Those who are called on to make arguments and defend cases are lawyers, right? They're there to make a point. Witnesses are not there to make a point. That's what's communicated by this statement, even in the Greek. Witnesses are called on to, you can fill in the blanks with me, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's exactly what what John was called on to do. He came to give the truth about the incarnate word of God. You can think of it this way. Those who heard John speak as he went out there in the wilderness and preached the message of the the coming Messiah. And those of us who read what he said today are like the jury. We sit and we listen to the testimony of John the Baptist. And we must make a decision of what we will do with this one that he tells us about. For he tells us as one who has witnessed who Jesus is. As one who has witnessed the truth of who God is. Of what God has sent in his son. He came to give the truth about the incarnate word. And he came to lead others to faith in Jesus Christ. John's whole life's mission was to point to Christ. To lift him up and to show the need for faith in him. And see here's the thing. God and his goodness will allow us at times to have the opportunity to be vital and even instrumental in. In the faith of other people. And by that we mean we're not creating faith in them. We have the opportunity to share with them the message of the gospel. That's exactly what John did. He wasn't creating faith. He wasn't, you know, showing them, he wasn't God to them. But he was pointing them to God. And we, like John, have that opportunity to share the greatest news of the gospel with others. The witness and testimony of John's life is the same witness and testimony that we can share if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And as John the Baptist fulfilled his mission, we'll we'll see that throughout the Gospel of John. But here, John writes to remind us that John the Baptist is the forerunner, not the Messiah. It is undoubtedly clear. From what John says here, that John the Baptist was not the light of the world, he was just a witness to the light. We know that John attracted great crowds, we know that people wanted to hear what John had to say, but we also understand that the man, John, from his own testimony, was never bigger than the message that he was sent to give about the Messiah. And that's the same that should be us today. If you know the Lord is your Savior, if you have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody else, if you have the opportunity to invest in the lives of others, it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about what we can do to, to make ourselves look better. It's about bringing others to the Savior. And that's what John did. The lives of those who know Christ should be testimonies and reflections of who we serve. And one thing should be held above all else, that Jesus is preeminent. And this message that John the Baptist proclaimed is a strong one. Because it isn't a message that tolerates neutrality. You know, we, we love non-committal, right? I mean, it's just kind of where we are as a society. It's kind of where we are sometimes as people that we don't really want to commit on something. If you give an opinion... Sometimes you feel like, well, I shouldn't have given that opinion, right? If I make a decision, maybe I shouldn't have made a decision. But, but the message of the gospel isn't one that you and I remain, can remain neutral on. No, the message of the gospel very much re- requires a response. And we see the two responses that are given here in these verses. If you look down there in verse 9, we'll start with this response of rejection. We see Jesus' appearance that he made. In verse 9, John continues, That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. See, the scripture tells us of Jesus' arrival in human form. It was prophesied from the very beginning of the fall of man that one day the Deliverer would come, that he would come to earth. He would come to save people from their sins. It was predicted over thousands of years. And finally, as Paul writes in Galatians, in accordance with God's perfect plan, it happened. The Messiah, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Lamb of God entered this world. He came, as John says, as the true light. That word that, that's used here that we have translated as true means real or genuine. Genuine. He came as the real and genuine light of God. He is God himself. Seeing him, seeing Jesus, is seeing God. He is the only way to God. Jesus is not a partial revelation of God. Jesus is not a way to God. Jesus, as he said of himself, is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father, but by him. And in a separate, amazing act from the creation of all things, he came, it says, into the world. And again, John uses this word a couple of times, this word world. When we hear that word world, we probably think of this, you know, blue orb that we all kind of live on, right? But the word is actually much more than that. It's not just talking about the planet where you find life every day. It is really used most often, the Greek term is cosmos, and it's used most often in a negative sense to refer to the sinful order and the sinful way of this world. It represents a system of sin and a system of evil that is Satan's domain. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our world is a very sinful and dark place. And that that system of sin that we live in, that's where Jesus came. Jesus came, as we read today in Luke chapter 19, to seek and to save the lost. Well, if you're going to seek and to save the lost, you have to go where they are. You have to find them. You have to share with them the light. Because of sin, all things on this earth are in rebellion against the Creator, but God's love is so great that he sent his son. I love the way one author said it as I was reading this week. He said this, God's love is to be admired, not because the world is so big, but because the world is so bad. We often think, you know, when we hear that verse, for God so loved the world. We think, oh, I mean, I mean, that's a lot of love because there's like a lot of people, right? It's not that the world is so big. It's that it's so full of sin and evil and everything that is opposite of God. This world is a dark place. And it was this way long before Jesus came. It was this way when he came. And it still is today. The world is blinded by sin. It's content to continue to live on in it. And the blindness that sin brings is real indeed. I mean, we read here in verse 9, that, uh, verses 8 and 9, that, that John's goal was to bear witness of the light, and here's the thing: unless people are blind, you don't have to tell them about the light. I was reading this week again on this passage, and one one of the guys shared an illustration from World War II. You know, during during World War II, there was a curfew that was enforced specifically in Europe because the Germans were coming, and they would the Axis powers they would bomb. The cities, And so as it got dark, you would turn off the lights so they wouldn't know where things are, and it would be harder for them to bomb these cities. And so they were meeting for church one night, and they were meeting in a dark a dark building. And as they were meeting, and, and he, the man was preaching from the Word of God, someone accidentally bumped the light switch and turned on the lights in that auditorium. And everyone just got really quiet. The guy quit preaching. Everybody got really quiet. And a man who was blind turned and said to his friend, why did he stop? Because he had no clue. To, to him, the world is always dark. You know, those of us who can see, we don't need to be told when the light is on. But here's the thing. You and I, were born in this world with a sin problem. We're born blinded by our sin. And because we are blinded by our sin, even one who, who came into the world, Jesus who came into the world to shine the light of the gospel in our sin, Without the grace of God in our lives, we don't see it. We don't see our need. So, why did God send John? To proclaim the message of the light. But we see exactly what happened here as Jesus came into the world and he, as he came to illumine our sinful state and the need for something to change, and that change in himself. We see the rejection. It says in verse 10. In verse 11, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. See, Jesus was here in this world. Again, that word cosmos. He was, a, he was here in this system, right? He was none who was not sinful, but he lived um, in, in this world that you and I live in. And endured the same things that you and I endure. He walked on this earth, but while he did so, he was not recognized for who he was. The creator became the creation. We looked at that last week. And Jesus came to be the savior of the world from sin, but the world chose to reject him. And see, in spiritual blindness, men and women do not recognize who Jesus is. More than that, they do not want him. They live on quite contented in their sin. And though their lives crumble about them, though no satisfaction is ever found in human pursuits, and though they know that they are broken deep down inside, men and women continue to pursue their sin because we are sinful beings. We think that one day we'll figure it out, and that one day it'll make us happy, and that one day we'll find the answer. The answer is in Jesus Christ. And therefore, the role of John the Baptist was so very important. He was called to point others to the presence of the Son of God. And therefore, the responsibility of other believers in this world to share the gospel with others must not be taken lightly. The light of the world is Jesus. But he, was, came, and, he came and was not known. It says here that he was in the world and the world knew him not. That word knew talks about a firsthand experience or knowledge of him. Though he was here, many responded to Jesus by rejecting him and his message. They didn't know him. They didn't come to have a relationship with him. And many today still have no relationship with him or want nothing to do with him. But that rejection does not change who Jesus is. You and I live in a world where truth is no longer absolute, or so they say. But that's the problem. You can't change truth. It always is. And just because you don't like who Jesus says he is doesn't change who Jesus is. And just because you don't want anything to do with him doesn't change that there is coming a day when he will make all things right. He will judge all of them. He will one day reign. And all who who reject him will one day pay the price of their rejection. We don't look forward to that. With, with glee that, that people are going to get what they deserve. No, we, we look at that with urgency and say, would you come and know the Savior? The light has shone on men and shown them their sin. They are without excuse. And as shocking and as tragic as that is, more shocking perhaps is the response found in, in God's own people. It says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. When he's talking about that, his own, he, he's talking about Jesus was born, he was a Jew. He was born in the nation of Israel. And Israel is God's chosen and special people that God promised to Abraham. He would make a great nation out of him. And he did great and mighty things for his people Israel. And he continued to, to, to work in her midst. And throughout Jesus' ministry in Israel, we would see, we'll see that he would be rebuffed time and again the religious leaders of jesus's day would oppose him at every turn and inevitably these religious leaders would turn to blasphemy and they would accuse him of doing these things on behalf of satan himself because they didn't have anywhere else to turn i mean at that point if you completely missed the boat where else do you go God chose Israel as a special people in and through whom he would do great and mighty things. And despite her willful rebellion, he continued to do those things. You know why? Because God always keeps his promises. Yet the people of Jesus' day would harden their hearts and stiffen their necks like their ancestors before him. And the words in the opening of Isaiah are appropriate to describe Jesus' reception in Israel. Isaiah says in Isaiah 1, 1 and 2, Hear, O heavens! Or verses 2 and 3, Hear, O heaven, to give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. See, here's the thing. The people who walked at the time of Jesus watched prophecy unfold before their very eyes every day. The things that prophets foretold the Messiah would do, he was doing. It began even with John the Baptist and continued with Jesus' ministry. It was, in fact, this fulfilled prophecy that Jesus would use in his answer to a question that John the Baptist asked when John was imprisoned. The Israelites rejected the revelation of God and Jesus, and they ultimately nailed him to a cross. And in doing so, of course, they would... Play a role to fulfill the plan of God's redemption, though they would not be excused for their sin. And this rejection of the Messiah by the nation of Israel is a microcosm of the general rejection of Jesus in the world that we see. You know, that question, What will you do with Jesus, is not just a line from an old hymn. It is something that you and I have to answer. It's a question that demands a response. Jesus himself demands a response. But of course, rejection isn't the only response. We see that the opposite of that is also true. We see that there are those who exercise belief in who Jesus is. Verses 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Let's stop right there and see that there is salvation in this belief in him. At the beginning of verse 12, you see this little word, but, and I just, I say it more often than not when I come across it, but it is something important to to continue to remember. Whenever you see that, it's a very important turning point within a passage because it shows great contrast. And so on one side, you have those who, who did not know Jesus, those who've rejected him, but over here, you have those who accept him, who embrace him. They open their hearts in warm reception of his message of repentance and salvation and in so doing they are not let down in fact those who accept him are given something far greater than they could imagine it says here as many as received him and that's a very important word because received is 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 so much more than just an acknowledgment it's more than just saying well sure jesus exists it's more than saying yeah sure i believe he's real Or even more than saying, I can see the logic that was said about, that's true about him. Or even, well, I believe even some of the things he said were true. No, when it talks about receiving, it's speaking about something very personal. It means to take hold of, to obtain, and to grasp. See, what we're talking about is is someone who has laid, through their entire being, laid their their hands to grab hold of Jesus and make him their own. To put their full trust in him. And his finished work as the only way of salvation from sin. It means embracing new and eternal life in him. It means making him the Lord of your life. And John continues on. In the later part of that verse he says to those who believe in his name. So he couples it with this idea of belief. What it means is believing in the totality of who Jesus is and what he's done. It is acknowledging who Jesus is and then taking it to yourself. And see, here's the thing. Belief in Jesus is exclusive. There is no tolerance for any other supposed method to gain eternity. Because if, if, you, take to Jesus, yourself, if you take to yourself Jesus and, and something else, then you don't really put your faith and trust in either one of them. You just said you don't really believe in either of these methods that you may take to yourself. The message of Jesus is that you and I must find our hope and stay in him alone. And if you will do that, there is something amazing that's available to you. John says that to to those who received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. We are not naturally born as children of God. Now, we are all created by God. But only those who come to him for salvation from sin are in his family. That is where we find the adoption through salvation in Jesus Christ. And with that adoption into God's family, we find that we have amazing privileges or rights. And so there's incredible contrast between being a child of sin and a child of God. Because if you're not a child of God through faith in Christ, you are a child of sin. So what do we find this different? Well, a child of sin deserves death and separation from God. That is the only end that will come if we die in our sin. A child of God gains heaven and eternal life. A child of sin is doomed to serve that, their self and sin. While a child of God serves God's glory with God's empowerment. A child of sin cannot stand before a holy God. But a child of God is declared righteous not because of their works but because of Jesus. And can stand in the presence of God because of that. This transference is instantaneous from the moment that you receive Jesus as your Savior. These things are those that belong to those who place their trust in Jesus. And through Jesus... We see God's work in salvation, as John continues in verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The rights of being a child of God belong to those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. And, And this comes about in our lives through an incredible work of God. You see, it is God who convicts our hearts of sin. Do you remember the first time that you are faced with this fact that you are a sinner and there is a holy God that you have offended because of your sin. Do you know who brings that conviction into your life? It's God. He's the one who has to show us our sin. He's the one who has to show us through his word, the Savior. And through belief... In him, this salvation comes about, but we must admit and realize that it's not something that comes from within ourselves. It's a miraculous work of God in our lives. See, there are several things that people think will make them right with God, and John begins to refute those here. He says in verse 13, who are born not of blood. See, here's the thing. Your heritage and your descent do not make you a child of God. And remember, John is writing to to what would be a, a pretty large Jewish audience as a, as a Jew that's going to read that, and anything, think, well, I mean, we're we're Israelites. I mean, we're like, if, if you can pardon the, the very, you know, they're probably not speaking this kind of slang, right? But we're in, right? I mean, if anybody's in, we're in. John says it's not a blood. It doesn't come who you're born to. It doesn't matter if you're an Israelite. It doesn't matter if you grew up and your parents took you to church every week. It doesn't matter if you're a semi-religious person because it's not about religion and it's not about where you are born. It's about a decision for a relationship with Jesus. Just because your parents or others close to you claim Jesus as their savior doesn't make you a child of God. God must work personally in your own life to make you his child. You must be faced with the light of the gospel in your own heart. It's not about our heritage. Second, it's of no personal willpower. John says, nor of the will of the flesh. It doesn't matter what kind of desire you had to bring this about. You you and I cannot wish our way into heaven. You cannot hope, well, one day, you know, it'll just happen. It doesn't matter how sincere you are in that wishful thinking. You you and I can be very sincere about things that we are dead wrong on. But it takes the work of God. We must be transformed by him. And lastly, John says that no system of works, or he says the will of man, makes one a part of God's family. Salvation from sin isn't acknowledging that God exists and then trying to be good enough. That's not enough. You cannot say, yeah, sure, I I see that God exists. I understand that, so I'll just try to work it all out. It's never going to happen. You will never have any willpower that will get you into God's presence. Only the work of Jesus on your behalf and the grace of God can bring you into his kingdom. You see, many have tried over the centuries, and the result is always the same. There is no peace and no rest apart from Jesus. The answer comes from God alone. And therefore, the answer is enough. If you're depending on yourself to reach eternal life, you're always going to wonder. Hey, did I did I do enough? Did I, did I say the right things? Did I, did I really mean it? Am I really good enough? Well, I have an answer for you. you. You can't do enough. There are no magic words. And you aren't good enough. There's your pep talk. Right? Jesus is enough. That is why he came. He came because you're not good enough. He came because there are no magic words. He came because there is nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. He came because God loves us so much that he provided a way for us to be right with him. That is the point of it all. He came to give life to the lifeless, to shine light in the darkness, to call sinners unto himself, and it is him that we proclaim, and he calls for your response to him today. But that work is God's. The work of salvation of our souls belongs to God and God alone. It is our role to simply respond to his call. Because Jesus is the only way to eternal life, my decision about him is life defining. The words and the work of John the Baptist engendered a response from those who heard him. It did. You read the accounts of, the, of John throughout the Gospels. You see the different responses that, that John encountered. The words and works of Jesus did the same thing. But see, here's the thing. That's inevitable. When you are faced with Jesus and God's work on your behalf in him, a response will always follow. You will either embrace that there is a holy and just God who cannot tolerate your sin and must judge it, but who also in love and grace sent Jesus to take away your sin and offer you adoption into his family through faith in him alone. You either accept that or you reject it. It's one or the other. You either lay aside your own efforts of righteousness and futility of yourself, or you go on with your life hoping that in the end it all evens out, knowing fully well in your heart that it won't. But there is peace with God. There is rest from struggling with sin. There is hope for eternity. There is hope that is found in the light which was witnessed by John the Baptist and written about for us today. Jesus stands ready to save you from your sin. You need no longer live in fear and doubt. The Christian do you live out this familial calling of God? As one who is in the family of God, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, never forget how you got there. You did not become a child of God on your own accord. God did not save you because he looked down and said, you are so good, I cannot let you go to hell. He saved you because of his mercy, love, and grace on your life. And as such, he has called you to serve him with your life. It is the work of God, and he has called you to share that with others. He has called you to live for him and to give the news of the gospel to those that you meet and encounter. So let us fulfill the mission of the family of God in our own lives today. I invite you today that that if you sit here and you, you don't understand what it means to be a child of God. You you don't know that you've ever placed your faith in him. You've never responded to that. The response that you have been given is is rejecting him. You can leave this place today knowing you will spend eternity with God and knowing you have peace in your heart with God. Maybe you sit here today as a Christian and, and God's really been working on your heart because you're not living the way God has called you to live. And God's been hammering away at whatever it may be in your life, and you need to submit it to Him. God's, God's placed a call on your own life to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And He's placed burdens of specific people even on your own heart and life. Would you give those to Him? Would you follow Him today? And when we live in such a way that magnifies and glorifies Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to hear from your word today. Lord, thank you for recording these things and preserving them for us to read today. And Lord, we're just so awed by your love and your grace and your mercy that you've poured out. And Lord, we ask that you would use that word in our hearts. Mold us and make us, as we prayed earlier today, into the image of of your son. Lord, I pray for one who may be here who is wrestling with the things of eternity, who who has thought about what comes next but has never been satisfied with the answers that they have found. Lord, would you show them that the answers are in you and you alone? Lord, to the Christian who is wrestling with sin, would you show them that their greatest fulfillment will always ever come in living right with you? living to your honor and your glory and in your strength. Would you do great and mighty things for them? Would you give them victory over sin? Would you help us to submit our hearts to you? And Lord, would you help us to be aware of the needs of the gospel around us? We live in a dark world. We live in a world blinded by sin, and you have given us the great opportunity to share with others what you have done. Lord, would you burden our hearts to that end? We ask that you would watch over and protect us as we go home today. Lord, be with our fellowship tonight Uh, as we sing praises to you and enjoy the company of one another. In your name we pray, amen.